Yo, yo, what up everyone? This is your life coach, Jacob Sokol, and welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life? You're about to access a roadmap specifically designed for people in our generation, like you and me, who are looking to figure out how to create a life filled with happiness, success, and a deep sense of purpose, while simultaneously dealing with the challenges of today. This interview is with Mark Manson. Mark is a dating coach, writer, and world traveler. He writes on how men can improve their emotional and dating lives at postmasculine.com. Question, so what does it actually mean to be a real man? That's a huge question that most of us guys wrestle with both unconsciously and consciously. What do you think? Are the traits which we consider manly hardwired into us as a species or are they socially constructed gender roles which exist for some specific purpose? In this interview, you're going to learn what the importance of guys proving our manhood is and how we do it. You're also going to learn can and should guys be emotional, sensitive, vulnerable, etc. You'll learn what some of the biggest challenges are that the Western man is facing today and what we can do about them. You'll learn how guys can create healthy relationships with women and what we can do to improve our sex life. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I'm particularly excited to talk to you for a number of reasons, Um, one of them being that I just feel like you offer wisdom that is not readily available and uh, out there in the mainstream yet it's super relevant to our lives and on, on some level is kind of running our lives whether we realize it or not. So um, that's part of it. And the other part of it is that you're still a young adult, so um, you're kind of navigating the challenges of coming out of this phase of your life yourself and doing that successfully. So I think your story is super relevant. And I'd love to start by introducing listeners to more about who you are and what your journey has been like from being a child to being where you are doing what you're doing now. So can you share a bit about your story and some of the challenges you faced as a young adult and how they led you to be where you are right now? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I I came from a pretty, I guess, typical background in the United States. Um, I was an upper middle class kid. Uh, I grew up in a nice city. Um, I'm from Austin, Texas. Went to night schools. Uh, My parents were pretty successful, but I also kind of had a typical childhood in that I grew up around, uh, I grew up in a family that that, that didn't express itself very well. Um, Both my parents and my brother and I, uh, well, I mean, both my parents and then my brother and I were kind of raised in this environment where uh, emotions weren't uh, shown very easily, um, and when they were, they weren't really um, like we weren't conscious of, of how we were showing them. So I grew up in kind of an environment that, that was a little bit cold. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in front of the TV, in front of video games. Um, my parents spent a lot of time at work. And it was kind of, you know, that typical disconnected, kind of disgruntled uh, American middle-class upbringing. And my parents divorced when... I was uh, 13 years old, and I ended up, my brother graduated high school soon after that, so I ended up spending pretty much all my adolescence just living with my mother, just me and her. And um, so these things, I mean, these things had a big influence on me emotionally and, and developmentally. And so 
as I was growing up, it, it was interesting in that I kind of, I had, I was put on the track, the, I guess the standard traditional track of success. Um, you know, good schools, going to college, smart kid. But on an emotional and developmental level, um, there was all this crap going on in the background. And so I grew up with kind of a lot of anger issues, a lot of weird attachment issues with women because of my relationship with my mom. And, um, and I grew up being pretty poor at expressing my feelings or, or handling my, my anxieties. And I, I don't think, um, you know, it's funny, like a lot of people read my website and a lot of people read my book. Um, and, and it's weird because uh, on the one hand, I seem to get all this attention, but I see my life as very kind of stereotypical in a way um, in that it's something that so many of my generation have experienced uh, in the U.S. and in, in Western society. So I, um, I got to college, and as with most people, you know, college kind of started to change things. I kind of came out of my shell a little bit. Um, you know, I spent a lot of my time in high school just very disconnected. Uh, I, was, I was pretty rebellious. Um, I got into drugs for a little bit. Um, you know, in college, a lot of that kind of undid itself. I became a little bit more confident, um, learned to kind of, uh, you know, how to, how to interact with others, how to make friends, um, you know, how to be comfortable around people without having to be high. And um, in kind of the next big trigger of, of my life and, and what uh, my development, I guess you would say, is... Um, my girlfriend, the only girlfriend I had had, my girlfriend of four years, um, cheated on me and left me for another guy. And so that kind of sent me into a little bit of an emotional tailspin because I, I guess I had never consciously had to deal with that much like pain and problems before. And so then I got involved in the, the pickup artist community, which is um, back in 2005, it was a, a fairly large community of single men who were kind of hopeless with girls um, or who wanted to have a lot of sex with girls. And we all kind of congregated on the Internet to discuss and debate uh, tactics and stuff like that. And so I went down this whole rabbit hole of that for years and years. Um, you know, I, I, I went out a lot. I partied a lot. Uh, I met a lot of girls. I got rejected a lot. And, um, you know, over the course of that, process, it helped me build confidence in a lot of ways, um, and it helped me kind of get over some, some baggage that I had with women, but um, it just kind of led to a new kind of unhappy place, and that my entire life had been defined um, in terms of how much money I could make and how many women I could fuck. And, um, oh, I should add that I became a, an instructor in the pickup industry. So I actually, I began, I got good enough that guys actually wanted to go out and pay me um, to show them how to do it. And so I kind of like got sucked into this reality of, of everything was, you know, my personal value was just very much based on my sex life and, um, you know, how much I could, I could get paid for a weekend. And that was a pretty miserable place. And so my current website, um, well, I wrote a book. Um, what, what happened after a few years in the industry is 
I, I made enough money that I could go travel the world. And I started traveling the world, and it was a really big eye-opener because I started, I started living in these locations. I started going places like Argentina and England and Thailand uh, where nobody knew me and nobody cared what I did or who I did. And, um, and I was also kind of put in these situations where I didn't have, you know, you're in a completely different culture, so you don't kind of have these safety nets that a lot of us rely on for our confidence. And it really just got me thinking really hard about myself and um, a lot of the men that I was working with that I had been working with for two or three years. And that's when I wrote my book, Models, which is basically, basically what it says is that, I mean, it, it's sold as a dating guide, but basically what it says is that, hey, you know, all of these young men this many young men were having trouble with women because we're emotionally screwed up. Like we have emotional problems and we've never been taught how to deal with them. And, um, and the book took off and sold really, really well. And, um, and I've since reoriented my business and my blog to postmasculine.com, which is, you know, the center focal point of it is to kind of provide this um, education or, or, you know, it's not as much education. It's just like helping. My goal is to kind of inspire younger men to think about these aspects of their lives that they are have never thought about or, or have kind of been conditioned not to think about, and um, because I think they're very important. So that's kind of where where I'm at now. Yeah, dude, you spoke about a lot of good stuff, and um, you spoke about your value system being based on how many girls you were screwing and how much money you were making. And I want to later on in the chat talk about how that ties into validating our masculinity. But for now, I'm also interested in what led you out of the pickup artist scene and what were some of the pros and cons of it? I know one of the pros was that you gained some confidence and you got um, perhaps more skilled in dealing with chicks. But what uh, what else did it do? Like what one is what led you out, and then two is what were some of the, the biggest takeaways and and kind of the things that also said, hey, like I don't I don't want to deal with that. Um, I imagine a lot of guys listening to this are who aren't familiar with that scene are like, are you kidding me? There's an entire scene where guys can I can learn this stuff from guys. So I think it would be cool for them to have your um, kind of inside view of the pros and cons of that. Yeah. Um... Well, the good news is, is the scene has kind of evolved a lot since then, but um, there, there are two kind of things that kind of helped me get out. One of them was uh, I, I, I had a girlfriend. Um, I found myself in a committed relationship, and um, that was one of the best things I could have done. I mean, she was, she was so good for me on, on so many levels because the, the problem with the pickup scene is that you know, it teaches a lot of good things. It it it, it helps men uh, develop more social confidence. Um, it helps men get more comfortable with their sexualities. It uh, it helps. It inspires men to work on self improvement, improve their lifestyles. Um, you know, these are a lot of good things. It helps them become more aware of of parts of themselves that that they weren't aware of before. And, and these are all great things. And these are all things that I've benefited benefited from. The, the problem with the pickup industry is that 
it basically teaches a kind of ideology that uh, you know sex is kind of the end all be all the ability to have sex with a lot of women is um, a major kind of life accomplishment or a life goal um, it, it objectifies women to a large degree uh, it, there are even times where it, it's borderline misogynistic uh, so there's a lot of kind of unhealthy and toxic aspects of the industry as well which I also suffered from and so, you know, after being in it for a few years, I, you know, I got this girlfriend and it, she was so great because, you know, I kind of existed within this paradigm of, um, you know, women are these entities that you can uh, engage with and manipulate. You say this and this happens and you touch her here and this happens and you look for this signal and that happens. And, you know, it was all very objectified. And in here I have this, this girl that I'm just, you know, I fell madly in love with where I realized that, you know, so much of that stuff, although it's kind of useful on an intellectual level, um, it's not what matters. It's like the emotional connection is what matters. And she very much brought me back to that. Um, and then, you know, there are a lot of these kind of toxic beliefs about women. In the pickup industry, you'll see a lot of stereotypes and generalizations about women, um, you know, about infidelity and how they just want attention and, um, you know, how they use men and, and stuff like that. And again, you know, it, it's my girlfriend was this daily counterexample to kind of all this stuff that I'd, I'd bought into a little bit. Um, the other thing that really helped me get out of the pickup uh, mindset and kind of that industry is, uh, like I said, when I started traveling and I started going to these places where nobody knew me, nobody cared, um, you know, it, it let me really disidentify. What I, what I came to discover is that my persona, my pickup coach persona, had kind of taken on a life of its own, you know, like I was supposed to be this big badass who like fuck girls left and right and you know I could get any girl on the bed and, and all of a sudden like I'm hanging out uh, in some of these places where nobody knows me and nobody cares about that like people care about how nice I am people care about um, you know where I'm from uh, you know what my ideas are stuff like that and that was a big wake-up call uh, and then also you know hanging out with friends who knew me you know like childhood friends um, you know, just people who didn't care. Uh, and I, it just made me, it helped me reprioritize what's important in life and in relationships. So let's, let's transition the chat a little bit into more of what masculinity is and some of the gender roles that I think the pickup artist community um, really feeds into. And the, what attracted me so much to your writing and your website was that I came across this article called The New Masculinity. And I had been dating a girl who um, was a uh, researcher, a sociologist. She was a researcher and she was a feminist and she was introducing me to a lot of concepts on masculinity, but on an academic level, not so much on like an evolutionary theory pickup artist level. And while both of them seemed really smart, like on one hand, here's all these really intelligent pickup artist dudes who are spewing out these really cool concepts. On the other hand, here's this girl who's like, that's all bullshit. Like none of that shit is, is relevant or valid or like here's why, it's, here's why it's wrong, here's why, whatever, whatever. So I'm like, there's got to be a middle ground somewhere. I think that both of these camps are really smart 
and to me, you kind of represented that that understanding of both feminism and of pickup art, it seems. So in this article on New Masculinity, uh, you pose a couple questions, and you say, are the traits which we consider manly hardwired into us as a species, or are they socially constructed for some specific purpose, or maybe a combination of both? And how does this relate to being attracted to women as well as psychologically sound as a man? So we can explore more of that in a second, but I kind of want to start with a ground, uh, a grounding question just of what is masculinity? Um, masculinity, I, I think there's, there's kind of two answers to that. There's the, um, the culturally relative answer, which is basically kind of whatever a certain, a specific culture deems or identifies as masculinity. So, you know, in, in American or Western culture, um, you know, that's your stereotypical beer drinking, football watching, uh, you know, guy works in his garage and plays his car and, you know, um, stares at girls and, and whatever. Um, yeah. You know, yep. cultures that, that differs, um, you know, in Asian cultures that has a lot more to do with honor and respect. Um, you know, it, it's uh, in Latin cultures, there's a lot more machismo involved, a lot of like, kind of this braggadocio attitude. Um, you know, violence plays into a little bit, competition. I think underneath that, you know, and these, these kind of these culturally constructed ideas of masculinity, I think they're always shifting a little bit and evolving uh, within their cultures and against, against one another. Um, I think underneath all of that, there's kind of more of a principle of masculinity. And, um, you know, the, the, the first answer that I gave is kind of the masculinity that feminists talk about about the socially constructed masculinity, the, the, the gender roles of masculinity, um, you know, the, the conscious identity of masculinity. There, I think there's a little bit of a deeper thing, which is kind of the, the masculinity that, that psychologists talk more about. And I think that is, uh, and that's more related to just kind of the difference in male and female hardwiring. And that masculinity is kind of just a general principle of um, self-directedness, um, ambition, autonomy. And it's not that women don't have those traits too. It's just that they seem to consistently show up in men cross-culturally uh, on a more fundamental basis. They show up in infants and male infants and children. Um, you know, and, and these are things that, that like Young and Joseph Campbell and Camille Paglia will talk about when they say that um, women are are women are born into their womanhood. Men have to go out and find it somehow. And um, you know that that rubs a lot of feminists the wrong way. But I, I think that there's some, I think there's something that especially I mean if you dig into kind of the biology of it, um, you know it, there's there really are some undeniable kind of neurological differences between men and women. And, and um, so it's a complicated question and, and, you know, where that line is between the, the culturally constructed masculinity and kind of the um, uh, psychological masculinity. I, I don't know. I don't think anybody does, and I don't know if we ever will, but, um, you know, that, that's just kind of how I see things. 
Yeah, I love that, man. Thanks for the clarification. One of the things that pisses me off about people when they use the word masculinity is um, I don't think that they know what they don't know. And what they don't know is that there are those two different types of, or we use masculinity to define two different things. One is this cultural uh, cultural norms and social construction of behavior that you just described, and the other is kind of this biological part of what is actually innate in in, in men in, uh, in maybe in, in whatever culture it is and also perhaps in other species as well. And, and they'll say things like, you know, I'm st- like women will say, I need to step out of my masculinity. Or like guys will be like, you need to step into your masculinity. And to me it's just like you don't know, I don't know, I have this allergy. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like you don't, it doesn't make sense. Like so um, to kind of understand those different ways of describing these two, really two different things, I think, with the same word, for me, it, it helps. Um, and I'm, I appreciate the fact that also you're like, I don't know if, there, if we ever will be able to distinguish what is culturally relative and what is biologically innate. Um, so thanks for the clarification on that. And then one of the big things that I think is a part of the and we, we can see if this is, perhaps you have some insight as to if this is culturally relative or biologically innate, is what is the importance of men proving their masculinity and their manhood? Yeah, it, it seems that, um, you know, when you look cross-culturally, the, the common thread of men, of masculinity in general, um, it seems to be that it's something that has to be proven and verified, and it has to be proven and verified by other men. And for some reason, mm. that, seems, that seems important. Um, you know, I, I think um, it, I don't know enough of the, the psychology to know why that would be, but, um, you know, they, they've, they've found this in indigenous cultures and, and developed cultures, and, and it's something that, that women don't, seem to do or seem to relate to, um, and when they do it, it's very much kind of a, a conscious force thing. So it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, I think if, if you want to look at changing masculinity or changing the idea of a masculine role, um, you have to look at how men reinforce one another um, rather than, you know, how society looks at it or interacts with it. So how do they, how do men prove their manhood? Perhaps you could speak about that the majority of people listening to this will probably be from the Western culture. So in, in the Western culture, how do we prove our manhood? And what are some of the ways that we do it which just aren't serving us anymore? And it's, we, can, we can consciously recognize that and then say, all right, enough of that. Let me, let me try to at least be conscious of that and not do that anymore. Um, I mean, there's tons of ways um, and very stereotypical ways that I think people recognize, you know, who can drink the most beer, who can fuck the hottest girl, who has the best car, who has the fastest car, um, you know, who makes the most money, who has the biggest house. You know, and that's not to say that women don't find competition in those things sometimes, but... Um, I think everybody will kind of agree that men are more sensitive about stuff like that. You know, it's like if a girl loses a drinking contest, she doesn't you know, <laughs> get butthurt about it. Like, you never see a girl throw a fit because her girlfriend drank more beer than her. Like, but, like, guys make a 
baseball. Like, it's a really big deal, you know? And um, so I, I think, um, you know, the, the two kind of categories um, that I, I've identified um, through my personal experience that I guess the, the, the masculine roles that I've identified that, that I don't think serve us in Western culture well anymore, um, and I'm actually writing a new book about this. I see them as wealth and sex. And uh, I think men have an antiquated relationship with both wealth and sex that just doesn't fit in this postmodern, post-industrial, post-business world that we live in now. Um, you know, the relationship with wealth is very much, you know, who can make the most money and buy the most shit. And uh, it's, you know, not only are we finding that that doesn't lead to happiness, but that is no longer a basis of, you know, because generations ago, that was the basis of your identity. That was the basis of your manhood. That, you know, it's like if you were a man and you made a lot of money and you bought nice stuff, um, that validated you as a person. Well, you know, now if you do that, um, not, you know, most women you're going to meet are just as, successful or almost as successful and they just buy as much stuff and I mean it's it, it, in the society we live in now there's such a surplus of wealth and there's such a surplus uh, of cross-gender parity um, that, that, that that's not that's not a suitable way for men to validate themselves or identify themselves and I think you're seeing the effects of that in, in men in our culture at the moment um, you know and I, I think men need to there needs the relationship with wealth needs to be a, a relationship with the quality of wealth much more than the quantity. Um, it, it, you know, it needs to be a man's goal should no longer be you know get rich and and buy a bunch of nice stuff. To be you know how can I afford to buy the things that are important to me and that enrich my lifestyle? You know what makes my lifestyle unique and 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 different than the next ten guys. Um, and, and how can I afford, you know, it's it seeing wealth as an experience, not a monetary value. And then in terms of sex, it's, um, you know, it's, masculinity has very much defined itself over the generations at, through an objectification of women. It's, um, you know, feminists, I believe, refer it to as um, seeing sex as a transactional um, relationship. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, the, 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 the more beautiful a woman is or the more women you can have sex with is, is equivalent. It's like some sort of metric for success. And I think men need to get away from that and, again, view it in terms of quality and not a quantifiable measure. You know, like what's the quality of my relationships with women, whether it's a single monogamous relationship or, you know, a, a series of monogamous relationships or multiple relationships. You know, what is the emotional quality of my relationships um, how are they adding to my life? How are they adding to my fulfillment? Uh, and I, I, I think that's important um, because, I mean, if you look at the demographics and the statistics about um, the dating that's going on in our generation, I mean, it's a disaster. Yeah. One of the things that what I've noticed and read about and experienced in my own life is that for a man, the, the kind of worst thing you can do to him is, is – Tell him he's not a man. You know, take away his manhood. And women really have that. 
but like guys get into fight. I, like I was out three weeks ago at a pizza joint in New York where I live, and um, these two drunk dudes came out of a taxi cab. It was probably two in the morning, and they walked over to get online to get a slice. And I was hanging out with someone, and all of a sudden I hear one dude like, "Hey, are you serious?" And it was guy looked pretty sober. And there was another, and the two drunk dudes were over there. And um, basically, you know, the, the one guy kept pursuing the other guy, kind of like puffing out his chest a little bit, taking a little Muay Thai stance, you know, like being a being a douche. And the other and the other dude, before you know it, like a brawl breaks out over absolutely nothing. Like there was nothing but ego on the line there. Um, and so I think like women don't have that, right? Like that's a, a attribute to men where you're gonna take away my manhood, no fucking way. Like that's not gonna happen, and we're more on a fight over it. So it's it's interesting to kind of be aware of that we, we do have this we do have this relationship to manhood that uh that it's almost like the most disrespectful thing you could do is say we're not a man and if you do it subtly or if you do it directly, it's a it's a challenge for a guy, even if you're conscious of it. Even if I'm like, Yeah, okay, I understand this principle, it's it's still it still strikes a nerve. So I I wanna talk about post masculinity, which is the name of your website. And before we jump into that and kind of see what this next phase of masculinity as a culture that, we're, which direction we're moving in and kind of what the possibilities may be, I want to go back a little bit to the gender roles of, you know, being a man means being powerful, means having a purpose, having, you know, your freedom, um, and never being weak or, or being vulnerable. And one of the things that you talk about is embracing your emotions and you spoke a bit about it so far, but that doesn't traditionally fall under the, the gender role of being a man, unless it's power, unless it's power, right? Or anger. Like you could be pissed off. You're a man, but you can't, you can't even really be like excited. Like your kid graduated for your daughter graduated from, you know, kindergarten and you're not going to see a man like pounding his chest. Like that's not a traditional way to, uh, to be a man. So um, I'm curious, where, does, um, where do emotions fit into this equation? What do you think the, the importance is for men to embrace their emotions um, and, and kind of be sensitive and vulnerable and whatnot, and, and how does that come into play here? Well, I, I think, I mean, first of all, there's been a misconception, because you're right, in the past, traditionally, the, the male role is... You know, he's quiet, he's strong, uh, demanding. You know, he doesn't show weakness, he doesn't show vulnerability. And I think there's there's a misconception that if a man shows his emotion, then that therefore that makes him weak. So, like, and, and one thing I try to argue on my website is that uh, is that you can show your vulnerability, and actually, if you show your vulnerability in a certain way, it actually, it makes you even stronger because, um, you know, a man who's, who knows his weaknesses and is comfortable exposing his weaknesses is actually a man who's more comfortable and confident in himself. It's a man who has more internal power um, and internal control um, than, you know, say the guys in the pizza joint you just talked about. And so what I try to get across to guys is that, look, like, Number one, you got to deal with this emotional shit because it's, first of all, it's, it's holding you back. And second of all, it's, you know, in this day and age, it's absolutely necessary and critical. Uh, 
And then two, you can deal with this emotional stuff and express this emotional stuff without being a pussy, without being a faggot, you know, without being a wuss. Um, you know, it, it's okay. In fact, once you get comfortable with it, once you get confident with it, it can make you, it can empower you that much more. Um, I think um, as far as like how important it is these days and how critical it is, um, one of the things that they're fi we're finding with all the demographic stuff is that, you know, the economies are changing and it, we're moving away from kind of blue-collar manufacturing industrial jobs and we're moving much more into a service and, and information industry. And the thing is, is that, you know, in those old industries, men had a competitive advantage because we're bigger and stronger and, and more durable and et cetera, et cetera. Well, we're moving into these new, this, new, this new economy and creativity is more important, networking, relationships, teamwork, um, you know, empathizing, be able, being able to uh, relate to users and, and clients. And, um, you know, these, these are things that women are traditionally have a competitive mm -hmm. advantage. And, you know, women have spent the last 40 years training themselves in the male gender role. They've been training themselves to be ambitious and to be powerful and dominant and, and assertive. And by and large, they've done a really good job of that. Um, you know, my argument is kind of that it's time for men to train themselves to adopt, I guess integrate is the better term, you know, some of the traditionally female roles. You know, men need to train themselves to be empathetic and, and vulnerable and, and, you know, work well with others and understanding um, because that's just, you know, that's just the reality of, uh, of our society today. I can see my dad just shaking his head, no, like don't do it, you know, like that old traditional 1940s man. Um, I introduced him to some of this stuff and he just, he, he kind of gets that I am excited about it, but he's like, no, like, you know, he's just too much of that man's man to, uh, to embrace it at this, at this point. Um, so what, post-masculine, right, post-masculinity, you're speaking a bit about the challenges that we face as men today and how we got to be there. So what, what do you, one is kind of, what do you think some of the biggest challenges that the Western man is facing today? Uh, well, there's, there's a lot. It doesn't look good. <laughs> uh, in the last 10 years, uh, I mean, it's happened slowly, but as of about five or six years ago, men are behind women in, in every level of education. Um, boys perform worse than girls in every level. Um, girls are graduating uh, at a high school at 50% more often than boys. Um, girls are going to college more often than graduating from college more often. More of them are going to post-grad. And more of them are getting jobs now. Um, if you look at just our generation, more women are getting jobs than men. And um, also in our generation, we have more men are dropping out than previous generations. More men are going to jail. And that's just kind of on the, the professional front. If you look on kind of the social, uh, social front, um, there are more single men than there have been in past generations. Couples are waiting longer than ever 
to get married, uh, and there are fewer marriages than any previous generation. There are women openly, I mean, if you look in publications like the New York Times and the Atlantic, I mean, there are women like openly writing saying that they just are, they've given up on, on the idea of never being married. Um, you know, what, what's happening is that as men fall behind, um, both, I guess, professionally and socially and emotionally, uh, the, da the dating pool for women is getting smaller and smaller. So there's a fewer amount of, uh, I guess, competent men or, or men who are as competent or more competent than women. Um, and so what this does is since the, the pool of, of qualified men is shrinking for the average woman, what that does is it polarizes the dating pool for men. And so what you end up is you end up with this small pool of qualified guys who have a ton of options and then the re everybody else, the rest of the guys who feel like they have no options. And I, I, I strongly believe that this is where the pickup artist industry came from, is that you know, this stratification of the dating pool started to happen about 10, 15 years ago. And so what you do is you end up with all these guys who just can't get a date or can't keep a girl around um, trying to figure out how. And, um, but this is bad for women too because now women have a smaller selection of qualified men to choose from. And because there's more competition for this smaller amount of men, these men, of course, are going to be more promiscuous. They're going to be less likely to commit. Um, they're going to be, uh, they're, they're going to cheat more often. Um, and so what, what you kind of see is you kinda, you're, you're kind of seeing an all-time low in terms of uh, the durability and the quantity of serious relationships and marriages in our generation. And, um, you know, it, a lot of people blame feminism for this. I, I don't see it that way. You know, there's, there's a lot of men's rights writers and a lot of men's writers who um, kind of blame feminism for this dysfunctional dating situation and also the educational situation. Um, you know, I, I see this as kind of a, a, an inevitable step an inevitable social growth, you know, like I said, uh, the, you know, feminism didn't happen in a vacuum. Fem feminism did it because economic forces made it possible. Well, now economic forces are making it mandatory that men get their shit together and, and start developing new aspects of themselves. So that's kind of where I see all this headed. And I, I, I really think that you know, you and I and our generation of men, like this generation of men, we, we are kind of this awkward transitional generation. Um, you know, we're kind of a lost generation. We're, we're a generation that, you know, I think the generations after us of men are going to be a lot better than us, and the generations before us were a lot better than us. So, I mean, we're the ones who kind of have to deal with this. So, how do men get their shit together? <laughs> um... I think it starts with a greater self-awareness. Um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting because if, if you look at like if you look at like a little boy and a little girl who was born, say, 20 years ago, or say from the last 10 to 20, 25 years, the little girl, it, the whole time she grew up, 
there's going to be kind of this like social pressure that you know she's a girl she plays with dolls you know girls clean the kitchen they raise the kids but also she's going to have been constantly inundated by her teachers and parents saying that you're just as smart as the boys you can do anything the boys can do um, you know you you anything you want to do you can do it one day uh, don't let anything hold you back etc cetera, etc cetera. Meanwhile, the little boys are growing up, and they're just growing up. It's just assumed that they're going to grow up and get a job and, you know, buy a car and a house and whatever, and it, just because that's what little boys have always done. And so there, there was never that voice in their ear saying that, you know, hey, you can do this, you can do that, it's okay. Um, so basically, you, you know, these girls kind of grew up with a, an influence outside of their gender role. Um, whereas the boys didn't. And um, I, I think it's our job, this generation, to find that outer influence. Um, because, you know, as boys, I know I grew up and you probably grew up, like nobody ever told me that, um, you know, when I was a little boy and I started crying, it was always like, stop crying, stop crying, be a big boy, stop crying. You know? and, um, nobody ever told me that it's okay, you know, like all my guy friends, you know, if a girl dumped me, none of my guy friends were like, hey, man, I'm there for you. Like, it, it's, it's just people didn't talk about it. Um, you know, my, my parents, um, you know, if I had a, you know, major problem with my friends or, or uh, you know, I was getting pushed around at school or something, it was like, well, deal with it, you know, like suck it up. Um, yeah. You know, stuff like that. Like, there was never anybody who was like, you know what, it's maybe you should sit down and, and think about why this happened. Think about why your relationship didn't work. Think about why you're so hurt. Think about why the other kids pick on you, like, and, and why they feel need to do that. You know, what can you do to bridge that gap? And um, so I really think that for men of this generation, it, it starts with a greater self-awareness of, what drives us, what motivates us, um, and what holds us back. And, um, and then, you know, adapting both our, our, our lives, like what our chosen life purpose, and then all, but also our relationships um, to those discoveries that we kind of make about ourselves. Yeah, so to be more self-aware and then make decisions that are congruent with our values and what's more authentic to us. And that transitions into the next thing which I want to touch on is pop culture. And figuring out what's authentic to us is almost impossible to do because we don't live in a vacuum, right? We live in a society, so we can't really remove ourselves from the society and know what we would be like the society in a sense shapes what we are. So there is this, well, what's just socially programmed into me and what's authentic to my nature and how do I differentiate the two? And I think that pop culture is just so heavily manipulated and controlled by mass media and the corporations behind them and that not only do they affect our, atti our attitudes and our social interactions, but they affect our understanding of who we are and where we should be in life and where we should be as a man. So what role, I mean, how do we, what's your take on that? How do you think pop culture comes into effect um, and, and how, can, how can we be more authentic in, in our choices while living in a society that does have 
you know, does blast us from every angle with these messages about what it means to be a man. Yeah, I, I think that's a huge point, and I think it's really important, too. I mean, I think what has to change is that men have to reject these classic, stereotypical um, versions uh, or validations of their manhood. Um, it, it, you know, the, the men need to stop being jerked around by images of pretty women. Um, men need to stop being jerked around with the idea that their car determines how cool they are. Um, you know, that, that's the huge piece of, of this kind of living authentically is rejecting um, that external validation that, that, that society has always reinforced. Um, you know, and the, the biggest thing that, that kind of drives me crazy about guys in my generation is it's just, I mean, I mean, look, I, I, love, I love looking at a beautiful woman as much as the next guy, but just seeing, like, it, so many guys, it's like their brain just falls out as soon as they see one. And it's, you know, like, uh, if, if you put Playboy Bunny on a bridge and had her tell guys to jump off, I bet you half the guys would jump off. It's, it drives me absolutely crazy. And, and I really see it as kind of like this focal point of, um, you know, how, how, how our generation needs to redefine itself. Like, we can't be slaves to the pussy anymore. Like, we have to live for ourselves and our own fulfillment um, and, and enjoy our relationships and our sexuality on our own terms, not what beer commercials tell us and, and you know, porn tells us. Yep, yep. Yeah, so moving beyond that traditional kind of, you know, just idealize, idolizing of, uh, of what pop culture defines as a beautiful woman and, uh, and moving beyond the phase of, okay, just how can I have the nicest car or how can I sleep with as many chicks as possible and, and going into a more evolved state of manhood or consciousness. And what's the next point, right? So then the next point is, okay, well, how do we, how do we go ahead and create healthy relationships with women that are based more on a sense of who we are um, love, even perhaps whatever that may mean to different people, and in uh, a sense of communion and, and community versus just these traditional markers of what it means to be a man and how to prove your manhood. How do we go about just moving towards creating healthier relationships with women? I, I think the, the the biggest part, and and this is trickier than it sounds, but I mean the biggest part is is to de-objectify them. And, and I, I don't, you know, I, I agree with feminists that you know, the objectification of women is a social problem. Um, but where I disagree with them is that it's, I, I think it's a little bit of objectification is inevitable. I think women objectify men as well. I, I think it's impossible not to objectify other people to some extent. But the thing is, masculinity in our culture, I mean, we We've been trained to basically base ourselves in our identity on the the way we objectify women. Like I said, it's you know, men really a lot of men really see themselves as valuable at how the girl that they can hook up with, or how many girls they can sleep with, or um, you know whether their girlfriend's a model or or whatever. Like it's these these kind of metrics for success, and so I think. 
you know, it's okay to recognize those things and recognize a beautiful girl when she's beautiful and be happy that you're dating a beautiful girl. Um, but it's, you, I think we need to stop letting that dictate our behavior and the way we perceive ourselves. Um, you know, it, it's, it, I kind of, sometimes I refer to like the strip club syndrome. It, it's like, um, if you go to a strip club, you basically see men who, I mean, they're, they're basically just slaves to, to this like visual stimulation of a woman. Like they give their money away, they say whatever they can to get attention, you know, and it's like we need to let go of that. We need to have more pride and, and self-esteem in that, you know, like we, um, we can't, we, we need to change ourselves and change our behavior for our own values, not, um, you know, not, not what a pretty, a pretty girl says or, or what a pretty girl thinks. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's kind of easier said than done, and I, I can relate it to my own dating life, and um, being conscious of, okay, I, I want to value a woman more for her mind and her personality and who she is and what she does in the world than just for how fat her ass is or how big her, her rack is, right? Like traditional growing up as a young teen, those are kind of the things that you do, and, and if you don't grow out of that phase, that stays with you forever. And then at the same time, I'm also self-conscious of, okay, one is I still need to be attracted to her on some level. So it's, don't make me out to be Gandhi here, who's just going to be celibate and tied to a tree. Like I'm an active dude living a life in, in the modern world. And sex is something that's very important to me. Relationships are very important to me, but being aware also that why am I picking which women? Like why, why, or why am I choosing to talk to which women? Why am I interacting with them? And then for me, I'm, I'm getting to a point now where, okay, clearly looks aren't the, as important as your personality or your values or your beliefs or who you are as a person, but how important are they? And also understanding that it, it challenges to, to not be with a woman who's traditionally defined by pop culture as beautiful. It's, it's an act of courage. Like, so the irony here is that most of the time you think the biggest man is the one who can get the hottest chick. But at the same time, what, what we're doing in a sense, uh, this line of thinking is saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm actually going to be a bigger person and not choose someone just based on their looks alone. And that is an act of courage, that to be able to kind of say, all right, I don't need your validation. You don't need you to tell me I'm man enough or not because this is how this, this woman appears. Um, that's just, you know, this is someone who I, who I dig, I'm into, and I'm going to be with that person regardless of what other men or society say about that. And, and traditionally you would think that a person who's with or a man who's with a woman who's not that beautiful is not much of a man. But the irony here is I think someone who can take that approach and say, okay, I'm going to value someone based on more who they are than how they appear is a bigger person, is more, uh, you know, just moral or, or uh, just a bigger, more courageous person. So just throwing in a bit of my own experience there and what that's been like for me to deal with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the trick is to kind of walk the tightrope, you know, of recognizing good looks. And, I mean, obviously, everybody cares. I mean, men and women. Everybody likes – all things being equal, everybody prefers a good-looking person. And, you know, so, I mean, it's walking that fine line between, you know, enjoying the looks and liking the looks, um, 
but also not being dictated, not letting the relationship be dictated by the looks. And, you know, one thing that I, I see all the time um, when I'm out with them, and, and I think everybody's um, a little gel, or guilty of this to, to a small extent, um, there's a psychological effect called the halo effect, which afflicts mm -hmm. all of us. You know, I, I'm sure you can relate to this is, you know, a, a guy, you know, one of your buddies will be dating a girl, like a really, really hot girl, and she'll just have a shitty attitude or or she'll do something like really, um, just like really inappropriate or really mean or something. And he'll like make excuses for her and be like, well, you know, she's a good girl most of the time. Like she just, you know, does this, whatever. And, and like sometimes my friends say stuff like that and I'm like, look, man, if she wasn't this hot, you would dump her right this second. And like, <laughs> it's just a very sobering thought. You know, like we all get sucked into it to, to a certain extent. Like it, it's hard. Um, and I think especially for guys, it's hard, you know, because I've just, I've seen so many guys just let themselves get walked over by a girl just because she looks great, you know? Yeah, do you think there's a reverse side to that where that some guys will resent a woman because she looks great and harbor negative feelings to her off the bat, just like, oh, she doesn't know what it's like to live a life not looking like not living with the halo effect where everybody kind of assumes that she, uh, she's the best or whatever just because of her looks are like that. Do you think there's a reverse side to that where we harbor resentment towards hotter, more beautiful women? Absolutely, absolutely. I, and I, I used to see it all the time when I was um, a dating coach, um, it, and it really kind of blew me away. It, you know, like I said, it, you know, as men, we kind of, we, we've been conditioned to measure our, ourselves by how hot of a woman we can be with. And so a lot of these guys, particularly if you're insecure, when they see a, a gorgeous girl, their immediate gut reaction is, oh, I bet she's a bitch. Or, um, oh, she just uses guys. Or, I bet she's a slut and she dates, like, 12 guys and he's for, for their money. And it's just these, um, you know, and, and I was guilty of them, too. And, and, you know, I actually worked up the nerve to go talk to some of these girls, like, just gorgeous girls, professional models and dancers and all this stuff. And the, the amazing thing is, is I would talk to them and they'd say, yeah, actually, um, you know, a lot of guys... Uh, are, are intimidated to talk to me or a lot of guys assume that I'm mean and I'm not. Um, you know, it's, it's these really, really beautiful women walk around, like on the one hand, they have the halo effect, but on the other hand, um, they walk around with people making all these assumptions about them because they're so insecure around them. Um, and so it's, it's a really, they live this like really complicated existence um, that's very interesting. But, yeah, I, I saw it all the time with guys, and, and um, you know, and I still do sometimes, and, and I call guys out. You know, I, I always tell guys, like, you know, don't don't make any assumptions until you talk to a girl because, I mean, there, there are ugly girls out there who are itchy and mean as hell, and there are beautiful girls out there who are very sweet and um, very loving. So, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Mm. In the context of relationships and of us moving past this 
old school, I'm going to judge a woman by how she looks and, and kind of moving into a more heartfelt place of let's create a relationship based on something of substance, not just of superficiality. Let, let's, well, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the challenges, right? So guys are listening to this call, maybe even a couple girls listening to this call, and it's, okay, Mark, appreciate the wisdom. Jacob, thanks for asking the questions. We had this conversation. Great, but now I've got to go out there and actually live this stuff. So I want to raise a little bit of awareness to what that process is like and what maybe one of the biggest challenges that they'll face repetitively or on a, on a long-term basis is with, with coming into this space. And you've written on your website a little bit about something called an emotional map, and I think that it may be helpful just to go over what that is um, because I think we all deal with that and it could just be empowering to start to own that and, and work through it. Yeah, so the emotional map is a concept. Um, it actually kind of dates back to Freud. And I, I wrote about it on my website and it, there's an article called uh, Why It's So Hard and it's about dating for modern men. But basically the idea of the emotional map is that, and this is true for men and women, but we all, uh, through the course of our childhood and our family experiences, uh, our, our, all our emotional experiences with our parents and as we grow up kind of imprint these routes into our mind of how we interpret uh, love and intimacy and how we interpret um, affection. And these kind of become our, our emotional maps. And the thing is, is that we're a little bit, until we become aware of them, we're basically a slave to them. So, you know, if we were the fat, awkward kid growing up and everybody teased and made fun of us, that is going to imprint itself uh, onto our emotional map. And so when we're adults and, you know, and we're dating, um, we're going to be particularly sensitive about our, our self-image and particularly sensitive about how... Um, people perceive us or, or any maybe jokes that they make about us. Um, perhaps, you know, the, the people who teased us were the, the popular girls at school. So, you know, like we were talking about earlier, those, those assumptions that we make about certain women, um, you know, it's, if, if you were always teased for being trapped by, like, the hot cheerleader girls, then there's a good chance that you, you're going to have this kind of um, unconscious bias uh, and anger towards that type of woman or women who look like that. Uh, but, you know, the, the biggest aspects of the map come from our, our relationships with our parents and how we perceived love in our family and how we received love in our family. And, you know, some people, that's a very, um, you know, they come from a very volatile, emotionally unstable household. And so, um, you know, they, they often find themselves in volatile, emotionally unstable relationships and often abusive relationships. And this is why you often see, uh, you know, that so many women in abusive relationships uh, had abusive fathers growing up. Um, you know, if you were in a very closed and cl or cold and closed off environment or, you know, if your parents divorced and you didn't see them often, um, then you, you're probably going to have a lot of anxiety in terms of opening up and trusting other people. Um, you're going to have abandonment issues, uh, commitment issues, stuff like that. And so, you know, I mean, it's some of the examples I listed are generalizations that are not always true. Uh, 
but and the point is that it kind of it varies for all of us and that it's very very important for us to kind of get a hold of this of our emotional map because our emotional map de determines uh, what drives us and, and how we uh, interact with uh, with women on on an emotional level you know um, so it's uh, the, you know therapy is great for this um, you know journaling blogging is great for this um, you know it's a really important piece you know one thing I always there's that saying it's like it if every girl you've ever dated is a bitch, the only the only thing they have in common is you. Um, and so, uh, a good place to start is that if you notice there's a pattern between all the women who you date or all the women who are attracted to you. You know, for instance, you know, before a long time ago when I was in high school, and college, the only women I ever attracted were really depressed, whiny girls, and um, I used to always complain about that. Ironically. Um, the only girls that are attracted to me were depressed and complained all the time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, the thing is, is it comes back to you. And so, you know, those are the starting points, but, um, you know, you want to dig deeper and dig further and, and uh, you know, and start to inform yourself on how you can change your behavior in the future. Yeah, it reminds me of something I saw you put out on Twitter the other day, which is you don't attract what you want, you attract what you are. And going back to the emotional maps, I, at this point in my life, I have awareness that the different long-term relationships that I've had um, have been very much parodies or, or, or parallels to my relationships with either my mom or my sister or my dad. And I'm like, yeah, this girl, boom, my mom. This girl, yep, just like the relationship I have with my dad. And to realize that and to have some awareness over that lets me realize when I'm dealing with an issue with one of them that it's not so much about the issue with the girl I'm dating. It's more about the issue with my mom or my dad. And it takes some of the pressure off of the issue at hand and just gives it a bit more perspective. And it's it's really helpful for me to, to process that, holy shit, I'm going to be dealing with this issue forever unless I realize what the real issue is, which is more of a core perhaps uh, interpretation of how I how I interpret love, how I interpret intimacy or connection or sexuality. And so that's been really helpful for me. And then you touched a little bit on what guys can do, but that would be my next follow-up question is, all right, so boom, guys are like emotional map. I get the concept. It's dope. I want to learn more about it. I want to figure it out. What do, what do we do? So you mentioned that therapy or, or journaling or blogging would be perhaps a good idea, but a little bit more specific, what kind of stuff can we pay attention to to figure out what our map is and then how to use it to navigate going forward? Well, the other thing that kind of goes along with discovering your own emotional map and, and developing more self-awareness, um, and is equally as important in general, is having these, these honest and frank conversations with people close to you. And in the beginning, that this is really, really hard for people. I mean, it, it's really uncomfortable. If you've never, like, opened up and had a serious heart-to-heart -heart, uh, with one of your good friends or, like, an ex-girlfriend or something, um, it feels super vulnerable. But the thing is, is, you know, the people – the people close to us see us better than we see ourselves often, and uh, there's there's an endless value in being able to open up that channel 
between two people. And, um, you know, one thing that helped me a lot was, uh, you know, with my ex-girlfriend and, uh, and there were a couple other girls. Actually, I, I dated a girl for a while who, who was a therapist, which, um, <laughs> which is great. Um, <laughs> you know, I, with both of them, like, they were both very, very frank about what they thought. You know, like, the, the girl I dated who was a therapist, you know, she was, we'd been dating for a couple months, and she was like, you know, I think you need more guy friends. And I said, what, why? And, you know, and <laughs> she, and she we, we get into it, and she said, you seem to have this fixation, uh, or, like, you seem to be overly attached to, to women and, and attention from women, and, and I think you know, it'd be really beneficial if you had more male involvement in your life. And, um, you know, and that's just something I never, I had no clue, especially, you know, because I had, I I spent, you know, all my adolescence living with my mom. And so being, receiving female attention at all times of the day just felt normal and expected to me. You know, it never occurred to me that that is, like, not normal and that it might be a little bit unhealthy. And she was the first one who kind of came along and was like, no, like, you need you need more of, like, like a male influence, a masculine influence in your life. And, um, you know, so I, talking to people close to you is a huge thing. You know, if you've got a good relationship with your parents, it can be, not only can it be useful, it can be therapeutic um, <laughs> for, both, for both you and um, if you're able to, you know, and my mom and I are really good about talking about this stuff. Um, my dad and I uh, were not, and in fact, it, it took us many years, and actually um, there was kind of a lot of resentment in our relationship, but just in the last year or so, he and I, our relationship's gotten very good, and, and we've actually finally been able to openly talk about uh, some of this stuff, you know, and, and um you know, just openly talk about how, how we feel about each other and, and things that happen. Um, you know, the, the other really great benefit about this, Jacob, is, is in relationships is that if you get two people, like say you get, you find a woman who's just as aware of this stuff as you are, the relationship kind of reaches a whole new level because um, it, it, when people aren't aware of their own emotional maps, everything they do, like every impulse, every fight, every, you know, out, angry outburst, um, they, they take it at face value and they hold it against each other. They say, well, uh, you know, last time we fought, you took my car and ran off for three days. And like, you know, what the fuck? I can't. <laughs> you know, whenever you, if you get two people that have both kind of developed this, this awareness, suddenly like those outbursts and those problems and those fights, it's almost like you're not even fighting with her anymore. Like it's not you and her fighting. It's like your emotional maps are colliding. And so it's like, you know, you're like, okay, well, she has abandonment issues and she gets really, really sad when I pull away. And, uh, you know, I, I am an avoidant attachment type. And so I have a tendency to get very cold and like this is not interacting well, and so like you learn, like you learn to not blame each other. You know, it's like you learn to understand that, like, hey, these are your kind of emotional garbage that pops up, and this is my emotional garbage that pops up, and so that when it pops up, you know, you don't hate each other for it. Instead, you're able to like help each other. You know, 
Yeah, dude, I love it, man. Um, thanks, thanks so much. I want to honor your time and also just the quality of conversation and how valuable this stuff uh, is for one for me. I'm I'm listening to it and I'm just so grateful to be aware of it and to be having this chat with you and two to be spreading it to young adults and trusting that they're going to get a ton out of it. And I don't think that our chat could be complete. I mean, I'm speaking to a guy here who coached guys on, on dating. I don't think it would be complete without kind of getting a, a piece of particular dating advice from you. And, and hilariously, at least I'm finding this hilarious, I'm going to just throw out there for guys that and girls that I think one of the best things you can do uh, that is really attractive is to talk about this stuff with each other, right? So, like, the, the women who I've met who I bring this kind of these topics up with, it's, it's always a great conversation, um, speaking about gender roles and sexuality and things that are taboo where there's secrecy or shame, or shame associated with it. It always leads to a stimulating conversation. So that's, I'm throwing that out there. But for, for you, I'd love to hear just kind of one piece of advice that a guy listening to this right now is like, okay, boom, I'm, I'm inspired, I'm empowered, I'm feeling it. Um, now what? What the hell do I do? Where do I take it from here? <laughs> well, if I were to give the average guy in the United States dating, uh, I would say, I would say two things. I would say one, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. You don't have to impress or entertain anybody. You just have to be you. Um, and you know, and I think this is that's kind of like people always think just be yourself. I think that's that's a horrible way of phrasing it. I think a better way to phrase it is that don't feel like you need to prove anything more than just who you are. So like don't don't try to be more than who you are. Um, and the other thing is is um, you know feel feel entitled. It, it, it's you, you're allowed to uh, you're allowed to talk to whoever you want. You're allowed to say anything you want. Um, you know, a lot of I run into a lot of men who feel like uh, you know approaching a woman in a grocery store or um, in a park or at a bar is like rude or somehow offensive. And it's like, no, I mean you're a great guy. So many women in the world would be lucky to hang out with you. Feel a little bit entitled. Be like, you know what? I deserve to go talk to her because I'm awesome. And um, you know. And so as long as you're respectful, it's no big deal. So those are the two things I would say. Don't try to prove anything to anybody and um, feel like you're worth it. Like you, that you feel like you have, you're entitled to talk to whoever you want. Awesome, dude. Hey, well, thanks so much for the time, Mark. You know, I think you get a feeling from it how much I appreciated this chat and uh, how excited I am to have had it. And uh, just super grateful for you taking the time to, to chat and, and share your wisdom with us, man. So, hey, thanks a lot, dude. Yeah, no problem, Jacob. My pleasure. Let's take a look at a couple big ideas from this chat. The first one, what is masculinity? Most of us never stop to question what masculinity is. But if we did, Mark offers two answers. The first is the culturally relevant answer. This means whatever a culture deems masculine, for example, in America, it's the beer-drinking, football-watching guy who works in his garage and stares at girls. In Asian cultures, it has a lot more to do with honor and respect. 
In Latin cultures, there's a lot more machismo and bragging involved. Violence and competition can also play a role. These are culturally defined roles of what a man should be within his culture, so what's masculine here may not be what's masculine there. This is the type of masculinity that feminists talk about. The second type of masculinity is more of a biological perspective that perhaps psychologists would give, which refers to the differences between what's hardwired between men and women. This is more of a general principle of self-directedness, ambition, and autonomy. Marx says it's not that women don't have these characteristics too, it's just that they seem to show up in men more often. At this point, my inner feminist is screaming at Mark for some of the reasons why this might be. But these are the things that Young and Joseph Campbell talked about. It's a real complicated question, and we may never know the answer where that line is between what's culturally programmed and what's biologically innate. Brings us to big idea number two, quality instead of quantity. As far as all the guys listening to this chat are concerned, let's realize that so much of what we do is based on trying to conform to what our culture socially defines as masculine. Being a dude is all about proving our masculinity. So we've got to look at the areas of our life where proving our manhood just isn't serving us. Things like who can drink the most, who can sleep with the hottest chick, who has the best car, who makes the most money, and who has the biggest house. Basically, it's all about wealth, sex, and perhaps power, and this is an antiquated view which just doesn't fit in today's world. So what you can do is start thinking of wealth in terms of quality instead of quantity. Instead of looking at it like you need to make a ton of money, ask yourself what's important to you and then how can you make the money that you need to obtain that. See wealth as an experience, not a monetary value. Big idea number three is building self-awareness. As men, if we want to evolve to become the greatest version of ourselves, we've got to get our shit together. And in order to do that, we've got to develop a capacity for self-awareness. That includes figuring out what drives you and what's holding you back, and then adapting our life to the discoveries that we make about ourselves. Men need to reject the classic, stereotypical version of how to validate our manhood. We need to stop being jerked around by images of pretty women. And in order to live authentically, we need to reject external validation that society enforces. That means you seek your desires, the things that are authentic, and stop listening to what beer commercials and porn say. Mark also references an article he wrote called, Why It's So Hard. You can check that out by heading over to sensify.com slash whyitssohard. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you, and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So if you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast, and I'm excited to deepen our relationship, to get to know each other better over time, and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here, And we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other in living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of The 12 Things Happy People Do Differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook, and there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, 
you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple, and it is. Thankyoujacob.com, and uh, grab that immediately, and I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart, but bring your head. Peace.